You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, if you looked in your bulletin on the sermon notes page, you know why we only sang two songs today. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There, there is a lot there, but I think we'll have uh, adequate time and we want to save some time for the uh, time around the table as well. Uh, we look forward uh, to that. Second Timothy is our text today. I invite you to turn there. Second Timothy, chapter one, uh, is our text. We're going to look at verses eight through fourteen, and uh, we're continuing our series uh, blueprints of a biblical church. We have noted several things about the church. Uh, church is a people who belong to God. Uh, people who commit to one another in membership, church membership, a people who submit to the authority of God's Word, the Scriptures. Uh, and today we're going to see how the church is a people who treasure the gospel, who treasure the gospel. And this is from Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy, young Timothy the pastor, he says this to him, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard unto that day that that what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this word now. We pray that through your Spirit you would grant us understanding, and not just understanding, but that we would receive it in our hearts and our lives and be transformed by it for your glory. And I pray that you would use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried in accordance with the Scripture, and and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Paul said that this message of the good news of the gospel is to be of first importance. First importance, that it is to be a priority, a a parameter. It is to be preeminent in 
the message that we preach and teach and, and believe and hold to. It, it's to be the foundation. It's to be uh, the, the formation, what forms us. It's to be uh, the motivation to proclaim it. All of these things, primacy, the gospel must have primacy in the church of Jesus Christ. This is communicated, I think, in our text today. Second Timothy is the last letter of the Apostle Paul. These are the words of a man who is uh, in his last days. He's in prison. He's facing uh, what seems to be a certain death. And writing one last letter to Timothy, who's a pastor in the church of, of Ephesus, he wants to encourage him and challenge him. And uh, he reminded him in verse 6 of the gift of God that had been given to Timothy to serve. Uh, and Paul reminded him that he had not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And what was he to do with this gift, with this spirit of power, love, and self-control? What else should he do? Paul says to him, use it for the work of the gospel. For the gospel. Notice three imperatives of the text, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, the reason I'm suffering and in jail, as you know, is because of the work of the gospel. I don't want you to be ashamed of it, though, he says to him. I want you to share in the work of the gospel with me. Why is that, Timothy? Because this is so important. This is foundational. Uh, this is worth suffering for. So don't hang your head. Don't uh, cower back in fear. I want you to share in this work of the gospel. There's nothing more important. Verse 13, there's another imperative. It is the word follow. Follow, he says, the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What is he talking about here? He's, he's referring to the pattern of the gospel. The word can mean something of, a, of like having an outline. That Paul has given Timothy an outline of the gospel, this gospel message. It's like a writer who might start with his outline before he, he, he fills in the manuscripts. It's kind of the main points. It's the highlighted truth. It's the, it's the primary thing. And, and, and what Paul seems to be saying to Timothy here is, Timothy, the ministry that you're called to is not about your creativity. It, it is, I don't want you to make up your own outline for the gospel. You don't need to reinvent anything here. You don't need to take anything from it. I don't want you to add anything to it. I, 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 there's no other gospel other than the one that I have given to you, Timothy. And it's critical that you follow this gospel. Follow it. Keep it. Then in verse 14, the last imperative. Guard it by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is the good de deposit? It's, it's the gospel. It's the gospel deposit that Paul has made into Timothy's life. And he wants him to guard it. The word good, good deposit, can be translated beautiful. And the gospel message is a beautiful message. Amen? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. It's precious. It's to be guarded, Timothy. 
like a, like a palace that you would protect from intruders. I want you to protect this beautiful gospel. And so those imperatives uh, that he gives Timothy are not just applicable to him, but they are applicable to the church today. To the church from all time and any time, we are called to share and to follow and to guard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It must be one of the things that marks us as a faithful church, something of first importance, something that is clear for everyone to see. When they come in and, and visit us as a part of our, our meeting together, our, our worship together, we want them to hear the gospel and the praying. We want them to hear that we're singing about the gospel. We want them to hear the gospel in the preaching and teaching. We want them to experience and hear the gospel in every ministry of the church. We want them to know that we are a people who take this seriously and who treasure this precious gospel that has been given to us. I want us to give a little more thought to the gospel this morning and why we need to to treasure it what is it and why and uh, Paul reminds Timothy of several things here but but it seems to me that he has a great section or word about the nature of the gospel what is the gospel what is the nature of the gospel of grace the word gospel means good news it is the good news of God's grace of his salvation which is offered to us in Jesus Christ Paul describes it there in a great testimony verse 9 He speaks of this God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What a powerful description. And if you read those verses, you see so much there that Harry Reader rightly reminds us that the gospel is not merely uh, a ticket to heaven, but, but rather it, it is a package deal that includes a lot of things, a lot of wonderful truth. The gospel is the glorious message uh, that God's grace through Jesus Christ delivers us from our sins. So that we are able to serve and live and obey our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message is a sin-conquering message. It is a sin-canceling message. It is a life-transforming message. There's a reason why it is precious to us in the church. It's why Paul described it as powerful. Romans 1, which we will return to Romans someday. Romans 1, 16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. Theologians have offered an outline that is helpful in describing the the gospel, and you see the listing there in in your notes. First, the good news of the gospel is salvation from the persuasion of sin, the persuasion of sin. We might call this uh, the effectual, effectual calling of God. Paul reminds us of calling in verse 9, the God who saved us and called us. He called us. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says it even more clearly. He says, to this he called you through our gospel. 
so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a calling that came in the gospel. It's really important uh, as we think about this that apart from Christ, we are by nature blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are deaf to the truth. In fact, the Bible describes us as being dead in our trespasses and sins. We don't have any life in us at all. But God's grace, by God's grace, He gives us eyes to see. He gives us ears to hear. Uh, By His Spirit, He calls to us through the gospel message, and we are enabled to to hear that message. Those of us, those of you and, and us who know Jesus Christ, perhaps you remember that time when the Spirit of God called to you when you heard the gospel message. I was blessed to be able to be raised in a church that proclaimed the gospel over and over again. And I heard the gospel in in each of my Sunday school classes and from the pulpit and and discipleship training we used to to have. But I tell you, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit called me that anything began to make sense. It wasn't until that moment when the scales of my eyes fell off and I realized the truth of the gospel, that I was a sinner, that I was facing certain judgment from God unless I turned from my sin and turned toward Christ whose life and death and resurrection could save me. God was calling me by His grace. Has He called you? And so from the Word of God comes a holy calling. Calling us away from the persuasion of sin and calling us to Christ. Secondly, at that time, there is salvation from the power of sin, which we might call regeneration. Regeneration. This is what Jesus was referring to when he said in, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Before we're born... Again, all we can do is sin. We're enslaved by sin. We don't commit every sin that is possible to commit, and we don't commit all the time in the worst ways possible, but we are still dead in our sins, incapable of doing anything for the glory of God until we are born again by the Spirit of God. This is what the prophet Ezekiel talked about that God was able to take hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh with His love. Those who are sensitive, suddenly sensitive to God's love, to His Spirit's leading in their lives. This is a, a work of God that happens when we are saved. Romans six seventeen says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is the message we need to get to the world, that our Christianity, the gospel, the good news of Christ, is not a self-help religion. It is not something else that you just need to add to your already halfway good life and try to improve some of your morals and you're okay and I'm okay. The good news is not simply that we are 
okay. The good news is not simply that God is love and that he wants to be your buddy and if you come to church, then he'll be your buddy. The good news is, is to realize that we are not okay, that there are things desperately wrong in our lives, desperately wrong in our relationship with God. But God sent his son Jesus that we were, we were dead in our transgressions of sins who can make us alive in Christ. That's regeneration. That's being born again. That means something needs to happen deep within us in which God transforms us, saves us. That's the glory of the gospel, saved from the power of sin. Third, we need to be saved from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, which is often called justification. That is a word that every Christian ought to know. You should not look at that word and think, I wonder what that means. You need to know what justification means. When God gives us a new heart, when we are born again, He takes away the record. He takes away the guilt of our sin before God. That's a miracle, isn't it? And it's a big miracle because you and I have a lot of sin in which that guilt needs to be removed. But in that moment, he takes away the guilt of our sin and he declares us, God declares us righteous. I learned it justified, just as if I'd never sinned. He declared me righteous. He takes the guilt of my sin, he puts it on Jesus Christ, and he takes Christ's perfect righteousness and he puts it on me. I don't understand that. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of salvation. It's a miraculous exchange that happens. It's exactly what has to happen for salvation. It is why your work salvation will not save you. You can never work enough. This miracle has to happen in your life when God takes the guilt of your sin and puts it on Jesus and His righteousness and puts it in your life. And it's only by faith in Christ that this happens. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The good news of the gospel is not just that your sins have been paid for but that Christ's righteousness has been imputed, given to you, applied to your account before God. Isaiah 1, 18, God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. How wonderful is that? That when God sees you after you have been regenerated, born again, saved, that he sees your sins have been atoned for by Jesus Christ, they have now become as white as snow before God. Fourth, when we think about the gospel and what we've been saved, we've been saved from the position of sin. The position of sin, sometimes called adoption. We see this in John 1.12. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. What else happened in your salvation? Well, Ephesians 2 says that you and I and our sins were dead and our trespasses and sins, and we were children of disobedience, children of wrath. But here in Christ, 
we are now the children of God. Our status has completely changed. In Romans 8.15, he tells us that we have been adopted as sons into God's family. We are children of the King. We are in the family of God. And we are in the family of God forever, the Bible says. There is also salvation from the practice of sin. The practice of sin, which is what we refer to as sanctification. That's another word you ought to know. Justification, sanctification. The blessings here of of being regenerated by the Spirit of God, saved, justified, now adopted, brought into the family, those things are immediate and complete in your salvation. You celebrate those things. They are done deals. But then there's the process of our salvation that we talk about sanctification, which continues throughout our Christian life. That is that You know that now that you've been saved and declared right, that things still aren't completely right in your life. There's work that needs to be done on your heart and in your life. Amen? All right. And this work that God wants to do is to make us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. So in one sense, our salvation is continuing to take place. This part of it. It's a process. Yes, we have been saved. Have you been saved? Yes, I've been saved by Christ, if we are in Christ. But at the same time, we are being saved. We are being saved. How how does that work? This is talking about the sanctifying work that's taking place in our lives. Ephesians chapter 4 is a great description of this. You were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You were taught to put that off. And verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's a transformation that's happening. That's sanctification. And to put on the new self. We're putting off the old self. We're putting on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is describing our walk with Christ for the rest of our time here on the earth. And it's very important because it means that the gospel is not just the gift of God for evangelism. The gospel is the gift of God for discipleship, for sanctification. You, you need to continue to hear. It's not just bringing dead, sinful people to life. It is the means that God uses to transform His people to be more like Christ. Over and over again, we should hear this as we continue to die to our sins every day, putting them to death, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, following Jesus Christ, putting on Christ. This is how we are changed, saved, sanctified. And finally, there is salvation from the presence of sin. The presence of sin, which we talk about glorification. Another word you should know, glorification. Paul, I think, implies this in verse 10 of our text when he says, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. One day, the process of sanctification will be over with. It will be complete. Praise the Lord. And it will be either in our physical death 
when we die or in the coming of Jesus Christ because at that time we will be given new bodies that are incapable of sin and death and pain and we will be free from the presence of sin once and for all. Won't that be a great day? This is something that should be in the depths of your heart and soul, Christian. Something that that you think about, that you long for, to be free from the presence of temptation, the presence of sin for eternity. It's why Paul can say in Romans 13, 11, salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. What salvation is he he's talking about? He's not talking about your justification. That's a done deal. He's, he's, not, he's talking about your sanctification, but actually he's looking forward to that time when it is complete and our glorification. We have been saved, we are being saved in sanctification, and yet someday we will be saved finally and completely and gloriously to our Lord. Church, this is the good news of the gospel. And we've just kind of touched on all of these things. These are these are multiple sermon series in, in these things. No wonder, though, Paul says this is of first importance. This is of primary importance from our justification to the process of sanctification to our eventual glorification. This is the foundation. This is is the formation. This is what shapes us. This is the motivation of all that we are to be and to do. Paul emphasizes this in verse 11 when he says, This gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. He says, this this gospel is the reason I'm called. It's just the reason. It's first. It's not second. It's not third. It's of first importance. It's, It's central. All of preaching and teaching and the ministry of the church, this should mark us. People would know that we treasure this. I've heard some people use Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14 where the writer includes us you'll be familiar with this language to move on from milk and to meat do you remember that if you heard something vaguely about that you can go look it up if you if you want to but but I and I've heard that that people have said this they said this to me that that the gospel is the milk and that we need to move on to the meat I want to tell you that's completely false It's completely false. It's not correct. The the gospel is not the milk and the meat is something else. The gospel is in both the milk and the meat. We can never leave the gospel behind. We can only go deeper into the gospel and how it affects and changes and transforms us. But we can never leave it. And that's the words of Paul here to Timothy, isn't it? Don't leave it. Mark, you should have never only sang two songs and then given me all of this time. Uh, but, but we need to go. Secondly, let's look at the necessity of the gospel. And, and we'll be, maybe, maybe we'll be a briefer. Um, the necessity of it. Again, why suffer for it? That, that's what he's saying. I'm suffering for this gospel. Why suffer for it, Timothy? Why, why follow the sound pattern of it? That was his imperative. Why guard it? That was his third imperative. Why give your life to proclaiming it and teaching it? That, that's in the passage. Why is Paul emphasizing this near the end of his life? It is because it is critical, church. 
And it's just as critical now as it's ever been. Uh, this, this might be overstated. It's not my quote. It's a, an author's quote. Um, but he, he writes this, The need of our times is nothing less than the re-Christianization of our churches according to the gospel alone. The problem in many churches today and why they need revitalization is not because they are emphasizing the gospel too much, but because they are emphasizing it too little. It's not being preached. Let's just note three reasons here in conclusion why this is necessary. And you can probably look and fill in the blanks already um, with just common sense thoughts here. First, the gospel must be central for the conversion of sinners. Why does it need to remain central and critical? Because it's necessary for the conversion of sinners. There's no other way for sinners to be converted but through the proclamation of the gospel. That is the means God uses. He explains that, that to us. I find it interesting here that out of the description of the gospel that we just walked through, that there are two parts of that that are processes, I think. The first one is, is in verse 9, the holy calling. We talked about that effectual calling. I think that is a process by which God draws us. And many of you give, you think about your testimony. It was, it was over time. It was many people speaking the gospel into your life. And it was, it was a process. It, it, it didn't happen, but justification happens immediately, but that calling was a process. And, and it includes the proclamation of the gospel, doesn't it? No one is saved apart from hearing the gospel. Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's, there's, there's a process there, isn't it? And it all involves the gospel. This is why the gospel has to be in our conversations. It's why it needs to be in our classrooms of our church. It's why it needs to be in, 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 in our corporate gatherings. It, it's ultimately what, what fuels all of our mission endeavors, all of our ministries in the church. It, it is that, that we want this gospel to be known. We want this good news to be, be, be proclaimed. Paul says this is why he was appointed preacher, apostle, and teacher. It's for the gospel. Verse 12, this is why I suffer as I do. And what a, what a great personal testimony he gives in verse 12. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard unto that day what has been entrusted to me. That's a testimony that we want everybody to have. That kind of assurance and, and, and confidence. And, and, and I, I just want to pause here just morning. Is that your testimony? I mean, can you say these words here with Paul? That at some point in your life, you heard the call of God. The call of His Spirit. You felt His conviction on your life for your sins. And you repented of your sins. And you turned from them. And you put your trust in Jesus Christ. Have you been born again? Is that your testimony? Remember, the gospel is not some kind of a cheap ticket to heaven. You, you walked an aisle and you signed a card and, and you got wet. 
No, there's more to that. Paul says, I'm convinced. I'm so convinced. I've, I've entrusted my life to him. Notice how personal his faith is. How many times he uses the word I when he gives this testimony. It was a faith based on knowledge that he had heard and conviction and trust, a knowledge of the, the gospel, a conviction that, uh, that it was true, a personal trust. I know whom I have believed. I believe. Is this your testimony? Paul did not put his confidence in the what, in the understanding of the facts. He did not put his confidence in the when. Well, it happened on this date. We don't see that anywhere. He did not put his confidence in, his, in, his, in the that, in his own faith and the strength of his own faith. His confidence was in the whom. I know whom I have believed. Jesus Christ. He is. Who he is. What he has done to save me from my sins. I know whom I have believed. Do you know whom? You are believing. And if not, why not repent and believe today? Secondly, the gospel is necessary and central because of the sanctification of of saints. And and we we touched on this, but it's worth mentioning again. This is the second element of the gospel uh, that is a process. I think justification is something that happens in a moment. God does that in your life. Puts you in his family, adopts you. That's, that's a moment that God does that. But his calling to you at the beginning of that is, is a process. And sanctification, this part of our salvation, is a process. It's spread out over the course of our lives. It's a process that involves God working and our working. Philippians 2, he said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for for it is God who works in you. This part of your salvation is, is God's work, but we must cooperate with His work. You work out your salvation. He's not saying work to be saved, work to be justified. No, He's saying work to be holy. Satan loves to distort this part of the gospel. Sometimes he tempts us to fall into... Uh, moralism here and and moralism simply puts all of it back on you and me just do good things moral just do do this and do that and blah 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 and then at other times uh the the other ditch is is to put it all back on god that that god's simply going to do it all i don't have to do anything i just come come and sit like a bump on a log and i don't have to read the bible or pray or do anything during the week or fight my sin and god's just going to do it that's a ditch that's not true either So we're back and forth from moralism, you do it all, to God's going to do it all. And the Scripture says that there's both working together. The gospel message is not that sanctification is 50% God and 50% you, and certainly not 100% God and 0% me. It is 100% of God working within me, to which I am totally dependent. And at the same time, it is 100% of my commitment and devotion back to Him, responding to Him. That is why this is an active, ongoing process in your life, Christian. Uh, Are you engaged in this process, such as fleeing temptation, 
studying God's word, pursuing holiness, praying continually, gathering with his church who are pursuing these things themselves. All of these things involved in your sanctification. And it's the gospel that keeps us from running into either ditch because the gospel tells us that salvation is not just salvation from the persuasion of sin, but it's also salvation from the power of sin. So that I can't be making excuses about my sin. He's given me power to forsake it, to repent. And this is how we are changed. Are you pursuing these things in your life? Are you pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing Christ-likeness? And are you doing so through regular time in the Word and prayer and fellowship? Now, again, there's a lot more that could be said there, but we'll move on. One more reason. The gospel must be central. The gospel is central because of the exaltation of our Savior. The exaltation of our Savior. Because here, here's the thing with A, gospel, a church that is marked by treasuring the gospel, uh, a gospel-treasuring church will by default be a Christ-centered church. And newsflash, I hope you know this, but Jesus is the one we're trying to exalt here, not ourselves. Amen? And when we're focused on the gospel, Jesus becomes more and more in the picture clearer, more beautiful, more glorious as we see these things unfolding. He is the sum, he is the substance, he is the center of all of life and, and ministry. Paul wrote in, sec, in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9, after describing what Christ had done for us on the cross, he says, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The more we emphasize the preeminence of Christ and the love of Christ and the cross of Christ and the necessity of abiding in Christ and living for Christ, we are highly exalting our Savior, Jesus. That's the kind of church and Christian that we need to be. Treasuring the gospel, treasuring Christ. I'll end with this quote. I know you're thankful that I'm ending. I'll end with this quote from John Stott. We may see, listen closely, we may, we may see the evangelical faith, the faith of the gospel, everywhere spoken against and the apostolic message of the New Testament ridiculed we may have to watch an increasing apostasy in the church exits as our generation abandons the faith of its fathers do not be afraid God will never allow the light of the gospel to finally be extinguished True, he has committed it to us, frail and feeble creatures, he writes. 
He's placed his treasure in brittle earthenware vessels. That's you and me. And we must play our part in guarding and defending it. Nevertheless, in entrusting the deposit to our hands, he has not taken his own hands off of it. How glorious is that? What about you? Have you received Jesus into your life? Can you say today with Paul, I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel which exalts your Son, Jesus Christ. And we have tried to do that this morning through our singing and through your word, the preaching of your word. And I pray now that, Lord, you would do the work that, that we can't do, which is the work of saving and, and the work of sanctifying. Do these precious works in our hearts, even now, as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.